Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to Call of Discovery, the podcast where we invite you on a journey into the crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its fantastic community, and of course, the excitement of Discovery. I am still somehow here as your co-host, Ed Pocock, along with... He's Zach. He's Armstrong. It's Zach Armstrong. Hello! Happy to be here, as always, as always, Armstrong and Pocock. Not a very marketable team name, but one I love nonetheless. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to merge our two names in my head. Oh, it's no, not don't, going don't, even, well. don't even try that. The imaginative listeners can do that in their head, but that is not rated PG-13. Oh, um, <laughs> yes, we, 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 yeah, this podcast is clean, everyone. We, 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 we're not even going to go there. Um, and, you know, particularly as today is a special day. Um, it is. It is a special day. We, we are excited to be joined by Balance Sheet. Um, also Steve Hamilton, the same person, two names, amazing, right? Who is an art director with FFG who oversees Keyforge Art. Um, and you might know him from some of his wonderful art for the game. Um, Steve, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you guys for having me. It's an honor to be here. It's, uh, yeah, it's just brilliant to, to kind of have you on. I think... One thing we've wanted to do right since when we started this podcast is get an understanding of the art of the game because it's one of those things that really draws people into the game. And um, there's just so many art-related decisions with Keyforge that feel so fresh, so new, and so different from the collectible card games and such like that came before it. Um, so excited to dig, dig into that with you. But before we do that, we do like to get to know our guests a little bit better. Um, so, Steve, uh, what brought you to Keyforge in the first place? Um, when did you first get engaged to, to, uh, to well, um, do some of the art for Keyforge? And, and what, what got you to that point? Well, I've been a freelance illustrator for past 11 years or so now before pivoting into art direction. Um, I first started working with FFG back in 2014. I had my first projects doing uh, Android Netrunner while the game line was still active. And they sometimes shuffled me around on other Star Wars related projects. And then finally, when Call of the Archons is in development, they were looking around at their artist pool saying, okay, who do we have that could do well with this, with this new brand that they're developing? They know what they wanted it to be colorful and bright and fun and energetic. And I guess I 
had a reputation at some point at the company for being able to produce that. So I was invited on for the first batch of art and they actually, see for the first set, they invited me for two different batches. So that's when I knew that they really wanted me for it. Because usually with an art director team, if they want to try out an artist, they'll give them a shot on the first batch. And if they don't quite produce what they need, the, they won't reach out to them again. But they followed up with me for every set after that, which was a huge honor. I didn't wasn't able to do very much for Age of, Age of Ascension due to some scheduling issues, but I've had a growing number of contributions for every set since then. I wanted to see how many different cards I could make. And partly that was after I got my hands of Call the Archons and realized what a fun game it was, I, I really wanted to have more of myself in the game, so to speak. So whenever they would ask me how many pieces I wanted, I'd just keep taking the number higher and higher. I might have gone a little too high at some points, but I really love having such a wide range of pieces that have become such beloved cards in the community. And that that sings to me of a love of the game as well. Um, so are you also an avid player of Keyforge? Um, not as avid as I'd like to be. There's not much of an in-person Keyforge community in Mexico where I live. I'm in a fairly, fairly small rural town. I do try to get as many Spanish decks as I can get my hands on, and I give them to the kids in my neighborhood, the young adults and the teens here. And I really like to encourage them to play it because in order to succeed at Keyforge, you got to be able to read your cards well and think ahead. And those are some critical areas that a lot of the kids that I work with are lacking in, so to speak, with areas they need to develop. So I really love pushing this game with them and that moment when that kind of clicks for them and they realize how this can work with this. And if they do this just right, they can pull this off. And that's that's so much fun for me. I don't care if I lose. I just love seeing them pull that off. But I do play a little bit on the Crucible when I can, not as much as I'd like to lately, though. I'm a bit shy. And I've had so much on my plate, I can't even begin to tell you. But I'm hoping to be able to hop back on more in the next few months once things calm down for me a bit. Well, I'm very excited to to see the results of what's been been on your plate, uh, uh, FFG wise, um, because uh, you know we can only begin to imagine they've produced such amazing games in the past, and um, we we're very excited to see what's what what's there in the future, not just Keyforge, but very much beyond um so yeah you you strike me as some maybe someone that's played played a few card games in addition to keyforge in your time it, is this correct or uh is it just keyforge for, for you did keyforge spark your love of card games i did dabble a little bit at netrunner and that was also again partly because i had art with it in it and i wanted to kind of experience it for myself and it was fun but it didn't, never clicked for me the way keyforge did um other than that just general board gaming was something I'd had a background with. Uh, but like I said, it's been a while since I've really been able to spend as much time doing that as I'd like to. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and for for anyone who uh, didn't immediately recognize uh, Steve Steve's work as a balance sheet, um, if you go to Archon Arcana, we'll put a link in the show notes here. Uh, there, As of... Uh, release there are there are 35 balance sheet cards released that you can all find on his artist page uh on archon arcana 
Um, and so you can go through there and uh, there is a joke in uh, many corners of the community who are who are uh, fans of Steve's work. We uh, there is a pretty common joke that um, Steve tends to get powerful cards. I'm looking I'm looking across. We've got Wrath or Ruin um, from uh, Dark Tidings, Stealth Mode, Portal. Uh, oh, let's see. Um, uh, Curiosaurus. Uh, candle unit, chronophage, battle fleet. Um, so there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of mechanically powerful cards uh, among Steve's Keyforge Uvra here, which is uh, which is quite fun. Which is quite fun. Yeah. Um, when I was working as an artist, I don't know if this was something he wanted to touch on later, but we don't actually know what any of the cards do. That's right. When, yeah. When they send out the briefs, it's just the art description and the house that it belongs to and that's it. So that was always a bit frustrating for me. I wanted, I wanted to know what the cards did partly because um, I wanted to be able to tie the mechanics into the art the best way that I could if possible, but also just to know which were going to be the chase cards so I could work extra hard on those. <laughs> but no, yeah, they never, of course. never provided that information for various reasons, which I can touch on later, but still that would have been nice. Sure. Sure. Um, and so you, you mentioned that time as an artist and, and art briefs. Um, uh, could you um, could you kind of go over what the what the maybe this uh, a very high level view of what the art process looks like now that you are an art director with FFG and we know Keyforge is just one one area you have responsibility in. Uh, but what does that general process look like, um, especially now that you're an art director and um, uh, including art briefs, which uh, some people might not be familiar with? So everything really begins with the designers themselves. They're the ones that come up with all the different mechanics and assign them to different cards. And they're the ones doing all the balancing and tweaking to come up with something that works well for each set. Uh, us artists don't really get our eyes on any of that or the art direction team. We don't get eyes on any of that stuff unless we're involved in play testing, which is more of an optional thing for other departments to help out with. Um, once those mechanics are more or less settled on, I believe, well, the developers write the briefs themselves. They might collaborate with story groups as well, which are internal groups that are assigned to each of the uh, in-house FFG intellectual properties. So Keyforge has a story group and there's other groups for Arkham and things like that. So between the developers and those story groups, they'll come up with ideas to match each of these different mechanics on the cards. And once they've kind of settled on that, there's a review phase where the developers go over those briefs with the art direction team. And our job is really twofold. We want to make sure that there isn't anything visually difficult or problematic for the artist to pull off. And also that the artist will have whatever reference that they need in order to create that image. So we do kind of a grooming process there to make sure everything that is in order for our artists. After that, we have our final list of art briefs. We settle on a pool of artists that we reach out to. And that changes from project to project. Sometimes we get new people on board and other times others fall out of interest. And that's one of my favorite parts of the job so far is maintaining those artist rosters and looking for new talent and trying to develop new talent the best way we can. I've had some, a, lot, a lot of fun doing that, some really great surprises in the past few months. But, uh, but after we have our artist pool, we solicit them and see how many different cards they're willing to take on for any given set. Then we have one of my favorite meetings where we decide which artist gets 
which cards. And that's really mostly just trying to play to each artist's strength. If we have somebody who's good with like spaceships and hard surface and things like that, we want to give them something a bit more industrial, like a, a Martian saucer or something like that. Or if you got somebody who's really good at creating animals and creatures, we want to give them a lot of untamed cards. So unfortunately, I never got a reputation as being good with animals or anything like that. So I did not get any uh, untamed cards, unfortunately, which was kind of mm. a shame. I wanted to be able to say I had a card in every house, but that didn't quite pan out. As it is, I got kind of picked for Mars stuff and Logo stuff, which was fine with me. I had a lot sure. of fun working on both of those. Sure. So after that stage, we send out the art units to the, the the briefs to the artists, and we have different milestones that we expect them to complete. They send in sketches that we review and we settle on what we'd like them to do. And that's the stage where if we have any major changes for them, that's where we want to catch it because we can't expect them to turn in a finished piece and us tell them, well, this isn't what we wanted. You need to change everything. That's just going to be horrible for everybody involved. So we have to catch everything in the sketch stage. After that, we have a work in progress stage further down the line where they just basically update us on how things are going. That's also pretty important to make sure that they're not veering off track. But then finally, they turn in their finals before the deadline, which we need for our production cycles. And if we have any last minute notes, we'll run them through there. Hopefully everything's good and we sign off on that. And then it's out of our team's hand. It goes onto the printing and marketing and graphic design stage of things. And then once that product cycle finishes, which can be anywhere from about a year or so out, uh, then we finally get to see it in print. So being fairly new, I haven't had the opportunity to see anything I've worked on come out yet, but I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, of course. We are too. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a, a side note about artists getting pegged for things they're good at. If I recall, it might have been from the Sanctimonious interview, which we'll also link uh, below. Uh, Steve was on Sanctimonious uh, a while back as an illustrator, had a great interview there. Uh, if I remember correctly, didn't you get pegged as the car guy for Netrunner and you'd never considered yourself a car guy, but they just kept giving you cars? Yeah, they, they kept giving me cars. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was my very first piece with fantasy flight and i was super excited because it was my first opportunity to work with a client that can give me yeah. steady consistent work i hadn't had that up to that point so i really mm -hmm. wanted to blow it out of the water for him and i did a really good job on a card called traffic jam with flying cars in some sci-fi city and i guess they took a look and said wow this guy this guy loves doing cars he's really good at them <laughs> and then my next few briefs say well steve we want you to do a bunch of cars they're a bunch of flying cars I'm like, oh, no, I did too good of a job. So <laughs> after doing a lot of cars for a while, I finally felt brave enough to tell them, you know, I, I'd really like to do something else, please. And thankfully, they took that to heart and they spread me out from there. Otherwise, I'd still just be doing cars to this day, I bet. And that something else was flying saucers, right? <laughs> I'd take that over a flying car any day. <laughs> sure. Sure. Oh, no, I, I like it. And but you know, think thinking of on that, Keyforge is art is so unique, is so unique. So you know, what differs about that process that you've put aside or what special considerations are maybe given when producing a set for Keyforge? Well, in a lot of senses, Keyforge has been the most liberating IP that I've worked on in any brand for any company as a freelance artist, because they basically say, 
well, within the style guides that they have, of course, I could do whatever I want. I don't need to match everything to pre-existing materials. Obviously, the aesthetic needs the aesthetic needs to match every house that I work on. I have to be constrained by that. But I am a very naturally highly colorful, saturated artist. I love working that way. Sometimes I get a little out of control. But within Keyforge, they basically, that's all they wanted. They wanted me to do bright, colorful stuff. And I was so happy to do that because I'd always have to restrain myself beforehand. And the certainly the art in Keyforge, uh, as I think we, we, we mentioned in the intro, is just very different to the card games that have come before it. You know, if you look at a, a red magic card, the art doesn't necessarily follow a specific color palette. Whereas if you look at Keyforge, you don't need to know what house it's from. You can see that a Shadows card is a Shadows card because of the color palette chosen. Uh, you can see that a um, House Sanctum card is a House Sanctum card. You can really just tell, you, you know in, instinctively what what house cards belong to. Um, Steve, when you, when you started as an illustrator for Keyforge, was that something that uh, FFG were sort of very solid on and, and, and now to your art direction days, is that something that they're still solid on that, you know, how, what, what does that play sheet look like for deciding the, uh, essentially the, the color, color palette for, for different houses and enforcing that? Well, for each of the houses in Keyforge, uh, artists are given a style guide that is based on some concept work that was done initially for each house, but also, different illustrations that have been handpicked by the art direction team to kind of emphasize this is the look that we want to go for. So I have a few of, um, more than a few, thankfully, of my cards that are in those style guides, which is always fun to see. But um, in terms of color palette, yes, to a sense, they do expect us to make sure that each character is aesthetically color coded to the house that it's in. But I sometimes like to flip the script a little bit when it comes to logos in particular, because I don't know if you've noticed, but like Library of Babel, Infomorph, I push a lot of really hard reds, which you don't usually get with uh, logos cards. And part of it was at the time when I did Library of Babel, for instance, back in Coda, I didn't know what the template colors were going to be. And it actually looks a lot better than I ever thought I, it would when I was working on it, when it's finally on the template, because it's got these reds that are, these uh, reds and pinks and purples that are contrasting against the blue template. And I was thrilled when I finally saw that card and oh, wow, that came out way better than I thought. So I've always made a point of asking whenever a new house came up, if I could see what the template colors look like, so I can kind of incorporate that into my work. But it's more of a contrast thing for me. I, I'm perfectly fine working within the normal blues for logos, for instance, but I want something to make it pop a little bit more. Some of the logos cards gets a little bit overly blue with gold highlights to me, and I was a little bit bored by that. But in any case, regardless of what palette I use, I have to make sure that it looks logos. And I feel like I've done a pretty good job of that, even when I've taken the colors in other directions. Yeah, yeah, and that red certainly kept coming in the later sets, um, which is which is fantastic. Um, um, uh, I completely agree that it kind of pops off pops off the page a little bit more. You can really really tell. Certainly, when you have a card in Maverick, it's often surprising how good 
how good it looks yeah. within within the confines of a uh, another a, another um, uh, card uh, another house background or or whatever the for, formal term for that would be. <laughs> Yeah, it's your perception of color changes depending on what other colors you're viewing next to it. It's a pretty common thing in art theory. And it's something I've tried to incorporate as well where I can. Because, yeah, some cards might look amazing in a certain template and they'll look like trash. And another one and people are like, well, it's the same art. Yeah, but the template's different and that changes how you perceive it. Yeah. And um, so in, in this art direction... In this art direction process, Steve, um, I know we've got that, that style guide for for colors like you were talking about, and that the the IP is is uh, a bit more open ended in in some ways because you're not having to stick to maybe things that were established in other kinds of fiction beforehand, right? Like Star Wars or or Game of Thrones. So, from an art direction team perspective, um, uh, what does striking a balance between like science fiction and fantasy look like? Because this IP is kind of all over the place with different houses occupying uh, different kind of fictional spaces. How how do you how do you kind of work with an artist to make sure that that proper balance is there? Well, again, that has to do with playing artists to their strengths. I would say if I have somebody, like I said, who's a good hard surfaced artist, good with robots, good with stuff like that, mm. I'm not going to give him an untamed card. So sure. I'm looking at it <laughs> from the perspective of an art director now, and I understood why I didn't get some of the cards I wanted to. But it is what it is. You always have to make sure you put the artists where not only where you think they're going to perform the best, but also where you think they're going to have the most fun. So if you've got a guy who's exclusively fantasy art, you give him sci-fi pieces, He'll do them, but they might not be that good. And he might be kind of miserable doing them. So the best result is the one where the artists are having fun in the process as well. Uh, so in in the uh, especially in the creature creation process um, is uh, how much emphasis, uh, how much time does the art direction team take uh, to try to have creatures differentiated differentiated by their art. Is that something you're also kind of leaning on the rest of the card for? Or or is differentiating the creatures kind of between each other um, so that if they're on a battle line and you have a lot of Sanctum Knights so that you could kind of pick out which is um, which, is, which uh, is, is that a part of the process to try to make them unique even if they have a lot of kind of unified uh, kind of unified elements among them? That's an interesting question. I'd say, obviously, that is something where we do need to be careful that you don't have two cards that are visually hard to tell apart. Um, in any given set, as we're working on them, we have the advantage of having all of those cards active in our minds during the production cycle. So we might say, wait, this card looks a lot like this other one. Is there any way we could maybe adjust it a bit so it stands out a bit differently or... Usually we can't do like complete character redesigns unless it's something really glaring that we didn't notice before. Like, oh, this looks exactly like this other card. Hmm. Um, And it's up to the art directors themselves also to keep previous versions in mind as well. And we don't always have that, I'd say. There might be situations where something in Coda or way back when we don't catch that, oh, wait, we got something that looks just like that now. And that might be an issue. Thankfully, though, that's not something that I would say comes up very often, mostly because each artist just has such a different approach to everything. It's very rare that we get a very similar piece from two different artists. It's always, there's always going to be some important differences to help them stand out. Thankfully. Awesome. Awesome. 
in in terms of those stories of the the real due care and attention that individual artists give to certain cards what are your favorite stories about the art on any currently released card either from your perspective as an illustrator or indeed as as a art director well i'll speak to one that covers both of those areas actually and that would be portal Ooh. well from my perspective as an artist when i got that assignment getting assignments is my favorite part of the whole thing for me because that first idea that comes to mind is just such a thrill i'll read what they want and then most of the time i'll have a pretty good idea of what i want to do or how i want to approach it and i love that feeling just reading through those briefs when i get the email but i got to portal when i was reading my briefs and i was like what the heck (laughs) why are they doing this to me (laughs) I i wasn't mad i was just like uh I I got the brief and it was something along the lines of a watery portal opens in the sky above a Star Alliance city and all sorts of crazy sci-fi ocean creatures are falling out of it. And there's this whale-like creature who's lying on the ground and he looks surprised and he's next to a bowl of petunias and there are people running away <laughs> screaming. And I read that brief and I was like, you monsters, I know why I got this one. <laughs> And it's because I found out later, it's what I was guessing, but they confirmed it later when I was applying for and got the job. I got a reputation as a problem solver. So Uh, whenever they get a problem card, they're like, we have no way how to compose this. This is just ridiculous. Let's give it to Steve. We'll figure it out. (laughs) Amazing. That's both a good and a bad thing. I'd say it's good because that means you're always going to be in demand, but it's a bad thing because then you get cards like Portal to do Right. And, and I have I have Portal uh, up right now looking at it as you kind of talked about what that brief said. And I'm seeing the ways. Yeah, I'm seeing the ways in which, uh, at least with the final product, it was kind of strategically simplified. Like now that I look, I can see that there is a city in the background. However, um, I do have to compliment you uh, here on the mic, Steve, that you you succeeded in making a whale look surprised, which I think is very hard to pull off. There is like truly a surprised whale on a card. And I think that reads quite well. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That took a while to figure out. (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, I'm not sure there's a whole lot of uh, easily findable references for surprised whales uh, out there to try to get an idea of of (laughs) what angle to come at that with. And I assume the bowl of petunias, uh, do you know if that's, I, I assume that's intentionally a, a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy reference, I would assume? Yes, that, that was the intention. Fantastic. Wow. Deep cuts. Deep cuts. So whoever wrote that art brief, I kind of want to punch him, but at the same time, <laughs> it came out nice in the end, so... Yes, and it followed. I get, it followed multiple Steve Hamilton traditions, I guess, of being a problem card that you helped solve, and also being a very powerful card, as well. It's an amazing, amazing, unfathomable card. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it fits. It checks all your boxes there. Yeah, just be careful what you get good at, because that's what they're going to ask you to do all the time. <laughs> but then, looking through your your uh, essentially your gallery of all the keyforge cards that you've you've drawn there is amazing versatility between them um 
yeah, from some of the some of the creatures uh, to some of the sort of landscape shots, um, really sort of enriching the uh, the the law ultimately uh, or the visual law of of Keyforge. Um, yeah, it's it really is truly um, it's quite something. It's quite something. Um, and and I imagine I imagine now that you're extremely busy with your art direction role, but does this leave any time for you to still continue doing illustrations yourself? The issue is when I got hired, it kind of came out of nowhere. And I had certain projects lined up with other clients, mostly Kickstarter related board game projects. So I took the job, but I am still actually working through the backlog of stuff I haven't finished for those clients. And it's been four or five months now, and I'm really anxious to wrap those things up. So suffice to say, it's been a difficult few months. But after I've cleared that out, hopefully sometime early next year, I'm really hoping, it's going to be nice to just be able to focus completely on art directing 100%. And I want to spend a few months just doing that, not stressing myself out so much. And then after I've kind of recuperated a bit, I I do want to continue doing personal work. It's something I haven't really been able to do much in the past few years because I've always been focused on freelancing and freelancing and freelancing. But I'd like to start actually painting the stuff that I want to paint for a change and ultimately rebuild my portfolio a bit to target certain clients that I'd still like to work with. The only issue is as an art director, I employed by FFG, I have to abide by certain rules regarding, um, what's the word for it? not competing with the company by working with their competitors. Right, right. So there's certain, there's certain, yeah, exactly. There's certain things that I can't do, companies that I can't work for because they're competitors with FFGs. But there's other companies yeah. that I could work for that don't fall under the same umbrella. So I would like to do that in the future, but it'd be nice to really be able to just pick and choose what I want to work on and really not have to take on every single project that comes my way like I pretty much had to, to before to make ends meet. So that's that's mm. really liberating. And just not living project to project like a freelancer, having a steady paycheck, that's been that's been really nice. I had no idea how good that was. <laughs> oh been, yeah. <laughs> I've been freelancing for 10 years and I had no idea. Oh wow. Yeah, well I hope I hope you can successfully transition into stealth mode, kind of wipe everything clear, focus on the big one. Avoid Wrath of Ruin or any burning glares. Ah, I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I was I was setting that one up here. I was setting that one up. I see where Uh, he's going with this. Yeah, yeah. Well, for anybody who didn't get that, um, I started to pull any card names I've could from his list of illustrated cards, and a lot of them fit a response there. So. I, I'm surprised you got that all by yourself. I would have thought it needed a mini group think tank to uh, oh. <laughs> pull together. Uh, yeah, you better watch out for my particle sweep, bud. Oh, that's the big one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've got to burn the stockpile think, of these before we start. I, no. I think you lost. I think you lost the game because I already used the big one. Oh no! That's okay. I've got your cyber clone all lined up. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Um, oh. No, yeah. there's no other good ones. You guys can stop. <laughs> <laughs> I'd 
have to say for me, it's been kind of a breath of fresh air to be on the other side of the fence for a change because there are a lot of things about working and contracting with these companies. I never really knew what was going on on the other side. I just had whatever the art directors chose to share with me. So I'm behind the curtain now and it's it's a very different experience, but also a very enjoyable one. Um, and honestly, I'm enjoying the change of pace instead of it having to focus on producing high volumes of artwork and doing the best job I can on each of them. I tell other people to do that instead. And it feels a lot nicer. <laughs> there's a lot of emailing. There's a lot of communication with different departments and lots of little but very important things that need to be handled. But I'm, I'm enjoying it quite a bit so far. And I'm really looking forward to the future. Amazing. Amazing. I think we're equally as looking forward to seeing what the, the future brings from the great minds uh, at FFG of both Keyforge related and of course, non-Keyforge related. Um, indeed. And you'll be back next week for a deck discovery episode, which we're very excited to see. That's right. And I can't wait to share that with you guys too. Yes, we are uh, looking forward to that in a fortnight, trying to reclaim that word uh, from the video game industry. Uh, and we, we can't wait to share that with you. Uh, but dear listener, uh, in the meantime, if you have uh, enjoyed Call of Discovery, make sure you're subscribed on your podcast app of choice. And if you're new to Keyforge, please visit the new player guide on Archon Arcana, the same amazing community-run Keyforge wiki uh, that we're also linking to in the show notes to show off all of Steve's uh, work. They've got a new player guide, and using that, you can get started on your own unique journey into this wonderful game. Or if you're listening to Call of Discovery during... Uh, uh, right now, you're probably already playing. Make sure to be sending that to your friends who want to get in on it. If you're looking to support us monetarily, you can visit our Patreon linked below where you can sign up to support us monthly and enjoy rewards like our exclusive discords where we get topics and questions for the show. Today, we had some from Drazcore, uh, Sporgory, and Cloggin. Uh, and you can also listen to Beyond Discovery, our behind the scenes podcast, where as of this launch, there will be or as of this episode, there will be three episodes out. Let us know what you'd like to see more or less of in future shows by interacting with us across all of social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook or send us an email at podcast at call Most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? 